Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome to episode 79 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host for this special Halloween edition, the evil Kofi Outlaw. And with me today are my semi-regular co-hosts, Mr. Matthew Aguilar. What up, peoples? And we have a new addition to the podcast from straight out of the gaming section, the guru of gaming himself, Mr. Roland Bishop is here. Thank you, thank you. Longtime listener, first time participant. Very nice. You guys don't see him, but usually behind this sign in the back, there is Rollin just sitting there. <laughs> he really is a part of the show, like, yeah. every day. Just, yeah, you, you just you probably see me going back and forth. vision to uh, see him <laughs> back there. Speaking of x-ray vision, if you are watching this podcast on a stream, you might notice some changes. The evil Kofi Outlaw comes out on Halloween, which is today. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> Happy, Happy Halloween, Halloween, evil Kofi. <laughs> As you can see, Matt has dressed up as uh, Matt Mueller again for Halloween. <laughs> Just a one-time thing. Uh, but it's in the office. We've had a nice little potluck, a nice little uh, costume contest. And so I thought I'd bring out my real face for you guys. Uh, every Halloween, I get to take off that mask I wear every time I come on here and put on my real face. So it's nice to meet everybody for the first time. Wow. Hi, guys. <laughs> hi, hi, hi uh, Evil Kofi. Yeah, hi, nice. hi. Hello. Nice. So, speaking of evil things <laughs> on this holiday, uh, Halloween holiday... First up, we are going to go into a whole bunch of ghouls, goblins, ghosts, and other things in between because Netflix has dropped the trailer for The Witcher! Yay! And this is a new series based on the popular books turned popular games starring Henry Cavill. And we've been talking about The Witcher. Um, I think I was the one who was the most kind of ambivalent about it when we first got the first teaser because I thought uh, Henry Cavill looked a little too polished. Right. Um, there was nothing really exciting or gripping about it. It was just kind of a tone world setter. I have to say I'm a lot more impressed by this new trailer. Um, the Witcher looks like it has a great kind of world established in a mythos kind of laid out that uh, comes through in the trailer. The action scenes look really great. Yeah. And some of the sword fighting, it looks like the choreography is really spot on. And I think this trailer sold Cavill a whole lot more than the previous. Well, they let him talk. Yeah. 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 He only had that, like, one line in the previous trailer. And this one, like, it was so much talking that I was like, is this the first time we've heard him? I'm not entirely <laughs> yeah. sure. It, 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 took, uh, it took the group a minute <laughs> to figure that out. I mean, I, I think this one, they, they really hit a lot of the nice fan notes. Yeah. Um, but they didn't overdo it. I mean, I thought the, the moments that are in there for the fans are the bathtub scene. Uh, seeing signs, uh, seeing the, a new monster. Like some of those things, people who have either 
read the books or played the games will recognize and have landmarks now that they can go, oh, I, I know that. But it didn't overdo it to the point. It still told, like, still set the world, still set a lot of characters. We still don't know a ton about the actual, like, full-on narrative through, like, how these three characters are really going to come together. Even though we see Cavill, uh, we see Geralt and Yennefer together for the first time because we hadn't seen them together Correct. in previous trailers. Yeah, we yeah. should probably point out, you guys know a lot more about the Witcher than, <laughs> than I. Like, I was never a fan of the books or the, or the games so much, but I'm kind of interested in the series, so that's my angle. But you guys, Matt especially, I think you know a lot about this. So, I mean, I just love As a that- person who's, like, on the inside, how do you how you liking this so far? I think I mean I really do. I liked the first trailer. I mean I remember when me, you, and Brandon. I think Brandon was the most negative. You were kind of in the middle. Not surprised. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> real. Uh, but you know I think it did a good job of setting a tone as far as for this world and and uh, just a vibe. This one it's just a really good trailer. I think this one has enough action sequences in it. You really get to see Geralt do some things in here. Still not. Over, but like they still have kept a lot close to the vest. We still haven't seen him face a monster. We still haven't seen like the silver sword come out. We still haven't seen him like take a talk, you know, take a toxin or, or apply anything uh, to his weapons or any of those things that fans are kind of familiar with with a monster battle. So we're going to see that in the show. I kind of like though that they're holding out. They're they're still not showing that stuff, leaving some intrigue. For the full series. I'm stoked. I mean, I was stoked to begin with, but I think this is a better trailer. You bring up an interesting point, oh which is, <laughs> I don't know, but this could have the potential to really kind of do, be the best adaptation of a game we've seen if they throw in some of the gamier elements into the show, like you're saying. Uh, just some of the kind of homages, the battle setups, that sort of thing. This might be our best video game adaptation yet. They have said multiple times that they are aware of the games, they love the games, they've taken inspiration from the games, but we are very much adapting the books, which is fine, because the games just adapt the books, right? Like, all that source material is there. And, you know, Matt was saying that this trailer feels a lot more substantial. It feels like there's some meat on these bones now, whereas previously it was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, it's not really shown me enough to where I can really understand where this is actually going to take this franchise whereas now we've seen enough to go oh i'm excited to see when he takes potions uh when he uses more signs when he breaks out that silver sword now i want to see that stuff after seeing a foglet i really want to see a sign (laughs) because like that's the i I use that ability all the time in the games right and that's the shield because he can call it because there are multiple things so like at one point in the trailer you see him push someone with like a telekinetic blast that was that's, really cool that's one sign he has witchers have access to others which like one is fire one is manipulating someone's mind another one is setting like a magical trap another one is a shield that they can form so there's like a lot of really cool possibilities and it changes depending on the creature they are facing because that's why like in the books he only takes one sword when he goes they prepare for each fight like it's a giant boss fight if you're got to refer to something in a game so it's it's a lot more methodical than just him being some mercenary roaming around it's there's a process so i hope that they kind of show that kind of like we always talk about with batman and showing the detective side of things and the more investigative part i hope they lean into that here so you could have episodes where he's literally just on a side quest to do something to prepare for a boss battle he's on the trail of one particular creature and he'll prepare and that's like getting oils for your sword because like there's necrophage oil right for to handle 
heal those. And so he'll take potions that will give him, you know, enhance, uh, enhance, you know, stamina. Yeah, but I'm saying in a TV speed. show, the, the appeal is we'll have be able to stretch out. Yeah, we'll be able to actually to stretch kind of that. Go on those journeys and earn those battles and yeah. so forth. So it sounds cool to me. Now. Obviously, this trailer kind of played the series up as more of a blockbuster event-sized series, and it seems Netflix is wholly confident in delivering that, because we also found out when The Witcher is arriving, and it just so happens to be going up against this little independent movie called Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. The scary thing is I'm getting used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Evil Kofi is just Kofi now. Yeah. Continue, sorry. I mean, that's the secret to this whole thing, yes. <laughs> But so The Witcher's coming out on the same on the same Friday as Rise of Skywalker, which has already caused people to geekasm overload because that's pretty I mean, that's a pretty ballsy drop, like to just say, I'm going to release this series on Star Wars opening weekend. So I think they must be confident that they have something that will still earn the proper amount of attention to kind of rival a Star Wars event. But also, to a point, I don't necessarily see them as... Competitors? Competitors, right. only because... Yeah. Complementary? Yeah, like, I think for a nerd... Very different beasts. Yeah. For a nerd, this is Nirvana. I mean, you literally, if you can't get tickets to go see Star Wars... You can literally just go and binge eight episodes of The Witcher. Or you go see Star Wars and you come home. Exactly. And then you've got Witcher waiting for you. Because yeah, they, I said it, you could watch some, go see Star Wars. Yeah, come home yeah, yeah. They work like, in whoa. tandem. So, I mean, really, I think just as an overall, like, geek weekend, I think it's awesome. But, yeah, I don't necessarily see, especially just with a show period, I don't see them being rivals. I see it just them being two different mediums. On that, on that particular day. That well, obviously it's not a money concern, but yeah. my only thing would be the Star Wars hype drowning out hype for The Witcher if, if new people are trying to get into the show and wait for the buzz and that sort of thing. Uh, Star Wars hype could conceivably overshadow that somewhat, but I'm just hoping that it will have enough for people to, I mean, in Game of Thrones comparisons alone, just to generate the necessary social media hype because... We we're becoming more and more aware that that's what these streaming shows kind of really live and die by, is the hype and buzz generated around yeah. them and measured by social media. So that's my only worry. But I agree. I don't think they're competitors at all. Yeah. Like, I'll be watching both. Thankfully, you know, The Witcher already has a built-in audience. Even though they are clearly sort of distancing themselves from the games, the reason the show exists is because of the game's popularity. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, isn't the bathtub thing from the games? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we're not leaving everything from the games no, behind. Right. Of course. Not Tub the TNA can. part. That was great. God, I love Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood's so evil that I love it. And there's Damn. another Witcher game coming. So I imagine... Like, they're also not going to be like, hey, you should watch this. Like, every, they're, all of this is going to feed off of each other, even if it's by, like, hands, like, arms length away. It's all going to feed. So. so, moving right along, let's jump to another gaming thing, since we have you guys and your gaming pistons firing on all cylinders. We got a new trailer for Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> the next in this kind of superhero immersive... I wish we could just, like, give this a whole new genre of game, because... Like, I don't know what to call it yet, but I feel <laughs> like it is a growing genre between Batman, Arkham, the Spider-Man games, now this, and, and more really, truly quality superhero immersive gameplay experiences. Uh, somebody make an acronym or something. Help us out. <laughs> so, 
Marvel's Avengers, we have a new trailer because there's been an intrigue in this, but some of the intrigue has just been like, how is this game taking shape? Right. Like, what's it going to play like? How is it going to function? How is it going to deliver an Avengers experience comparative to Spider-Man or Batman solo characters? And this trailer isn't even so much of a trailer as it is just like literally like, you've got questions, we've got answers, like yeah. Marvel's Avengers. And it kind of takes you through... Um, and I like it. I learned a lot, actually, from just watching it before we started recording here. Uh, I like the storyline angle, and which I had heard a little bit about but didn't pay attention to. But now that I see it, I find it very interesting, the whole thing with the Avengers kind of causing this massive problem. It's a little endgame-y in the, in the sense of the time break and the time jump to a different world, a different context, where the Avengers have caused this huge... And they kind of take that New Warriors Civil War thing where they caused a major public disaster. Yeah. Um, it turns public sentiment against them, and AIM springs up. And I think that's the genius of this for me, is using how they've taken AIM and made them these villains that are now all over the world. And <laughs> just basically... I was like, oh, now this is an interesting horde of villains to punch. Like, yeah. I want to go and punch different AIM creations and things like that. So I like it. Um, I still want to see more of the gameplay dynamics, I think. Like, really, like, revved up. I haven't seen that personally. I know you guys, we've had some experience playing that, Roland. Right, yeah, Matt, Matt's actually played the game. Oh, Matt, take it away. Well, yeah, uh, this is actually, I think this was, this trailer was the majority of the presentation that they showed at New York. Um, so it walked you a bit through the the gear and, and how that works. Like, the gear is completely, like, you can upgrade stats and abilities and things, but when you start unlocking skins, like, that is completely cosmetic. So you can still have a bunch of different gear assigned that builds up certain things, but have your Joe Fixit costume if that's what you want or your original Sin Iron Man. Like, you right. can still do that stuff. You don't and need the, to choose between looking really yeah. cool and being able to actually do gamey things. Which anyone who's played like older RPGs will immensely right. appreciate <laughs> yeah. because like, I don't know how many times you find some horrible hat and you're like, okay, but it gives me like plus Super six armor. Stats. Yeah. <laughs> but it looks terrible. So now you don't have to choose and you just equip whatever you want. Um, but yeah, like one of the biggest things uh, at New York, of course, was that, you know, Kamala Khan is going to be that uh, catalyst to yeah, the central bringing character. the team back. And well, one of the things they talk about, she's you a Spider-Man of this. Yeah, very much so. She's a fan and she sees, you know, still the good in heroes and they've been outlawed at this point. Uh, and one of the things you touched on was aim. And it's really interesting. Like aim is actually the way they described. It, I mean, there was a bunch of organizations in Marvel that they could use. Oh right? yes. You could swap them without sword. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sword. Oh, I love sword. Uh, Oh, but gosh. like aim, but, uh, but one fire, of the things ready. is, oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that's cool is that they're actually leaning into AIM's central idea, which is you know that science above all else, and the fact that what caused this was kind of you know men playing God, so to speak, and messing with you know. Terrigen crystals and, yep. and those kinds of things. They look at that, and then they also look at superhumans. They're above humanity, and they view humanity as the top. That should only be that way. So they look at superheroes as tainted, you know, as that. There's something else. And so it makes sense that they're the ones kind of taking power at this time with now the, you know, the superheroes are kind of outlawed. They've capitalized and really like found their ways into other pieces of government and stuff like that. And there's a time gap of about, is it five? I, think I believe it's five, it's five years. years. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of time for that kind of those base ideas to establish. And like uh, when you start the game, you essentially start out in like an old rundown helicarrier 
uh, and you slowly, like over time, build up your base and, and things like that when you're when you're out and doing missions. Um, so there's a, like really, I mean, Crystal does story well. I think they do right. Crystal Dynamics, of, yeah. yeah. Crystal does uh, story well. They've done it in the Tomb Raider games. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff on the foundation here. The game plays. It's fun. Like, it's really fun, and it really feels different depending on who you're playing as. I mean, Hulk definitely feels completely different than Black Widow, and as each hero, you really do feel like them. I mean, we got to test drive uh, Kamala as well. Uh, she's, a, she's a blast, and, like, all her uh, abilities, being able to stretch all over the place is really fun. So, I mean, there's a lot of really, of really exciting stuff here. The thing that I am still most curious about, and they still refuse to really talk about, is co-op. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, that's the, I mean, the team aspect of this is kind of like, yeah, always been my biggest question mark. Like it's split into hero missions, which are solo play only. And those you have one character that you guide through. So you're going to have a assigned hero. Uh, and then war zones, which are the, you can play as any hero that you've like unlocked and you can take them and customize them. And it's up to four. That's the one that everyone's like. We want to know more about that. <laughs> How does this work? Yeah. What does it look like? You know, can you have more than like, Who you know, knows? one he- one type of hero at a time or whatever? <laughs> and they're like, we're going to tell you about it later. <laughs> now, to be fair, this is releasing in May of yes. 2020. And they are constantly putting out new information. So yeah. like, maybe they're just holding it. Maybe it's not ready to be shown. Yeah. Hard to say right now. Maybe they're still trying to pull off some of these ambitious ideas. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, they really are, you know, and they're delivering, like, they're already working on... Uh, like, our coder's in the basement, we beat him, and as soon as he's <laughs> conscious again, we'll let you know. Well, and their, their slate is ambitious. Like, they have, like, three years' worth of content that they're planning for this game, and that stuff's already kind of laid out. So, yeah, I mean, it is a, they are taking on a lot, but from what I played, I, re- I really did enjoy my time with it and i want to play more man it's freaky i remember you used to just have to give your soul over to a game for like three or four years and it was over <laughs> now it's like they never end live services yep there it now is now it is cool that it's all free because all the all yes. the characters that are coming all the characters i say not everything else but all the characters <laughs> are free and there's evidently no loot boxes we uh, we will see we will see yeah, yeah. How long will be yeah. money to be made because yeah i've, I've also heard this before right yeah. We've, we've heard this, and then yep. it's like, but Marvel. Do you really want to buy this hat? Money. You yeah. want to buy that? <laughs> this isn't a loot box, but you can purchase this. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it. For Marvel's Avengers, we're going to keep you updated on this and all the insights we get as we go along. Finally, I'd like to put aside evil for one second and just say something uh, a little bit more heartfelt. We lost uh, a comedic great this this week in uh, John Witherspoon, the star of Friday, the Boondock, Soul Plane. So many memorable roles where he uh, came on screen and uh, made us all laugh and gave us catchphrases and really entertain the hell out of so many of us for so many years. So, uh, yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night that had just broken, and I was like, man, like, uh, it was terrible. But I wrote it up so they could do a nice obituary for uh, Pops from Friday or Grandpa, as I know him best, from the Boondocks. So, RIP John Witherspoon. We still don't know what this means for the uh, Boondocks revival. He was pretty prolific. We don't know how much of that he finished or whatever is going to happen with that now because uh, it was coming to HBO Max so we were all very happy and uh, about that to get it back. Regina King's killing it right now, and we thought she and John Witherspoon would be recombining to give us this, and sadly, that's not in the cards. So we'll keep you updated on what's going on, but RIP John Witherspoon. Now, back to evil things. When we come back, 
We are going to talk about the evil that is brewing over in Lucas Films around the Star Wars movie franchise. <laughs> and we will yeah. review Marvel's Excalibur, the newest, weirdest addition to the Dawn of X lineup. So stay tuned for all of that. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right. So in a segment I've titled, What the Hell is Happening with Star Wars Movies? <laughs> It's <clears throat> a good question. We talked last time in our new segment on the Wednesday show about what's happened over at Lucasfilm. The Game of Thrones creators, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, left Star Wars. They were supposed to launch a new trilogy of films after the Skywalker saga wraps with Rise of Skywalker this holiday season. But now they're out. And in follow-up pieces from uh, major trades, We've done some digging into what's going on at Lucasfilm. Uh, Variety and The Hollywood Reporter yesterday put out dual pieces, kind of breaking down Weiss and Benioff's departure and what it says about the larger context of Lucasfilm right now. And there were a lot of interesting, interesting insights in these articles. Basically, what we've learned is uh, Lucasfilm is kind of a hotbed of... Corporate interest versus uh, creative vision. There's been a high amount of director turnover. Uh, the trades all cite, you know, inside re their sources reporting that kind of Kathleen Kennedy is running Lucasfilm with kind of a tight fist. And anything that doesn't please her or please the, the other powers that be there kind of gets clamped down on rather quick, um, which can lead to conflict with kind of creative teams and there doesn't seem to be much leeway for uh, negotiation, except in the rare, weird case of Ryan Johnson, who has somehow charmed everybody at Lucasfilm and gets these kind of weird carte blanche, longer leashes. But, you know, it just went into what's happened with, like, uh, Lord and Miller, uh, Weiss and Benioff, uh, some of the other names of people who were kind Colin of... Colin Trevorrow, right? Yeah, Colin yeah. Trevorrow, who was in talks. I always forget he was... Yeah, like no, or was, uh, Josh Trank was also oh, attached yeah. to the franchise yeah. at one point. This whole crop of directors that came up with like Gareth Edwards. I mean, they got Gareth Edwards, Josh Trank, uh, Colin Trevor. Those were like all big 2010s breakout yeah. stars. Yeah. And Lord and Miller, of course, except now there's been this huge turnover and there's been talk and rumors about why Benioff and Weiss left. Um, some said their ideas <laughs> weren't like good and Lucasfilm was like, eh, and they were kind of like, eh. 
Um, others point to them getting actually like fired from the studio uh, when they because I guess things just they just didn't have what the studio wanted, which is not surprising after they snitched on themselves this past <laughs> week as we discussed. Saying, saying Game of Thrones total fluke. We did not know what no we do. The timing of that is oh just mm, beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation that. There, the that this actually they left back early in summer, right after Game of Thrones was over. That it was decided they weren't going to pursue Star Wars, but the announcement was held. But Lucasfilm put it out when they went to Austin and just started saying all that stuff about Game of Thrones, <laughs> and were like, kind of just, brilliant, yeah, putting a black mark <laughs> on themselves. And Lucasfilm was like, not with these guys. <laughs> um, that's also speculation, but um, these are coming from sources inside the studio, so it's not just loose rumor. These are from like the major trades. Yeah, and uh, and there's also speculation that the game they they use there's terms like toxic fandom thrown around that basically these guys after seeing the backlash to Game of Thrones ending they just didn't even want to tangle with the Star Wars fandom. So the long short of all of this, there are a couple things. First, we don't know what's up next. It's specifically stated in this article that the future of Star Wars movies is currently uncertain after the Rise of Skywalker. There is no trilogy. They have dates scoped out. The pre-Christmas holiday of 2022, 2024, and 2026 are all reserved for Star Wars movies. We thought it was going to be this either Benioff or Weiss trilogy or the Ryan Johnson trilogy or combinations, alternating combination of both. But now there's no solid plan on the books, according to these reports. We got nothing. Like... The players that are still floating around are Ryan Johnson is still in the wings. He's, like, said, I mean, all year we've gone back and forth that his trilogy is dead. Now it's alive. Now it's dead. Now it's alive. But he has said, I'm still in. Multiple times. Yeah, multiple times, just waiting for Lucasfilm to figure out what they want to do. So that's what he said. Kevin Feige. Marvel's Kevin Feige has come aboard. So did I at first. (laughs) Dude, Star Wars is such a chimera. Like, oh, it's such a pain in the butt. But, like, because there's always so many threads of what's happening. But, uh... Kevin Feige has come aboard to do a standalone movie, but there's no real timing or, or, or nothing we've heard about when that is supposed to happen. Ewoks. Um, a lot of people are thinking now Feige will be swooping in to, after all this turnaround and turmoil with Kennedy and, and kind of the misfires of the Star Wars standalone spinoffs, that Kennedy could be replaced and Kevin Feige could be brought in by Disney. But these reports say that is not happening. Kathleen Kennedy's secure, his position is secure. Kevin Feige is not coming in to be the Star Wars guru. He's doing one film, and again, we still don't know the timing of that film. And that makes sense because, I mean, if you look at it, like even in your most like uh, cynical view, she's had one dud. Solo. Because Solo, and, and like everybody knows, all the other stuff has worked, like at the box office, has worked yeah. where it counts, right? Whether it's turned off some giant chunks of fans or whatever, okay, but like... It's worked. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Star Wars I ain't losing out on box office money. It's not losing out on yeah. merchandising money. Fine. Ray, Poe, uh, Finn, Poe, all BB-8s, all that stuff has been cash cows. Yeah. So. so, like, yeah, I mean, they're not hurting in that respect. And that's, I mean, this is another thing, like, where we have to maintain reality versus Twitter reality. Right. Like, Twitter reality is Star Wars is dead and going down in flames almost every day. Real reality is Star Wars is making tons more money than ever um, and is doing just fine. Now, so, like the, the thing you have to consider is that, yes, there have been a lot of turnover, a lot of you know people who were attached that are now out, but movies have kept coming out. Like, until we get past 
Rise of Skywalker, where the future is a little murky, like they've continued to put out movies that have done well, like Matt said, other than Solo. In in a way, when you look at what Kathleen Kennedy and co have been doing, it's been working. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like Star Wars is dead. That's important. We're just talking about the movies. Yep. Yeah. The Mandalorian is one of the most highly anticipated new series of the year. The Obi-Wan series yeah, is already one of the highly <laughs> most anticipated series of whenever Jeez. the year that comes yep. out. Something like So Star Wars is just kind of morphing into a TV property right now, which is, you know, yeah. it's doing a reverse Star Trek, right? Yeah. Like. It's kind of like going from a big movie to big TV thing right now. So it's not like it, the franchise is disappearing. Yeah. Far from it. But, yeah, it, it is just kind of – I think we also have to give credit to people. Like I said, I've been doing this for, like, now 10 years. So I was doing this, like, when the rise of the MCU was happening. And let me tell you how many articles I wrote about things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that people don't even remember, <laughs> have, like, you yeah. know – yeah. Who was almost where, almost then. There was a whole Thor 2 that got scrapped and destroyed at the last minute so that we could get the Dark World, thanks. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Evil Kofi coming out of yeah. there. Oh, there you that go. Great. Well, that was evil. Oh. I'm just reporting it. I admire that. <laughs> evil Kofi admires evil thing Hollywood does. But, um, like, yeah, so the MCU, especially Phase 1, they had this whole complete, like, this idea of what they were going to do that was just completely wrong. Like, where they were just going to get these strong, visionary directors to make Marvel movies, you know, cinematic, get that cinematic legitimacy, and then they're like, wait, Kenneth Branagh has his own ideas about Dutch angles and things like that? Like, what? Joe Johnston wants to do, huh? Like, what? Like, and then, you know, people, and then people, and then they couldn't handle that, and directors couldn't handle the machine, and there was a lot of creative turnover, and people were saying the same thing about Kevin Feige. Yeah. Like, nobody can work for Feige in the Marvel machine. Remember those articles? Yeah. Like, so. Oh, yes. And then they found a middle ground, right? Like, yeah. where they got, like, up-and-coming directors who were a little bit more flexible and pliable because they just wanted to be on and like but had their own but had their own, their own vision yeah and, yeah no. had a good vision but could work within the company system because they just want to get on and get paid and, and have that next phase of their career yeah and that has worked out for the james guns the russos i was gonna say that's you know worked out for pretty Googlers. much everybody yeah, right. the yeah. Googlers like yeah so the taika waititi so they found that middle ground and i'm sure star wars will do the same I think in the case of Star Wars, I think the larger thing is they have to decide what this franchise, like what they want the next phase to look like. Right. Because they've had this formula that's been going on since 1970 something for the episodes and, you know, doing that. And as soon as they started to stray away from that in the spinoffs, in The Last Jedi, you know, things were like, things get a little bit more wonky instantly. So it's like, after this, we have no baseline for what Star Wars should be at its at its baseline core because the Skywalker saga is over. So what launches next? You could replicate that. Or are we going to get something completely new? Like would, you know, Benioff and Weiss would have made an... We know they were going to... Oh, we didn't even mention they were going to make a Jedi origin movie, which is basically like Knights of the Old Republic. Which sounds amazing in anyone's hands but theirs. But I was going to say, like, <laughs> is it going to be all about, like, the like, incest within one Jedi like, family? and like I'm all for that idea. Just give it to somebody else. I don't even Like, a Jedi care. Knight realizes, like, his masters are having, like, some illicit incest affair in the first movie and then, like, you know, gets crippled? I don't know. And they cast uh, everybody and, like, we had to wait on our actors to really figure out that incest angle because we yeah. had no takes on it. Yeah, we had no takes on that. <laughs> we, just threw that we just threw that in there. <laughs> We're just like, yeah, Star Wars hadn't had any incest, so we threw that in there hey. Yeah. hey so like yeah 
<laughs> so I think we do need that new baseline and, and it, or at least the openness to accept a new vision of what the franchise is going to be. And that's going to be a tough hurdle to get over. I think also, you know, we, we didn't touch on this, but there's a lot of non-canonical material out there now that exists, you know, post Skywalker saga. Obviously it is ever since it's been years now, but it's, it's, it exists. It's out there. The question is, do they adapt from it at all? Do they go a completely EU, different baby. direction? The EU uh, is the new outer rim of Star Wars franchise. <laughs> um, yeah, and they, and, they, and they are. They're plucking from it where they want. Like, right. They might switch up a couple names. Like Ben Solo is a little bit of a switch from the EU storyline. You know, I did love some of those. About Ben stuff. Skywalker and, and his sister and all that. Um, you could argue there's a lot of that in the Kylo Ray storyline that they kind of borrowed from the EU. Uh, Admiral Thrawn was brought into canon through mm-hmm. the Rebels TV series and kind of left in a limbo where he could come back. So, like, yeah, they are selectively... They just want to steal from the EU without having to pay too many people. It's basically, <laughs> like, the game That's there. That's probably true. <laughs> and, no, I mean, I, I've been writing about that since yeah. this happened. Like, it's Disney, true. Because when, when Disney got Star Wars, the first thing I said was, what's happening to the EU? And it's like, are people going to get paid? Or It's like, people aren't going to get paid, but we love those ideas. <laughs> so we're going to see what happens. But um, we'll keep you updated because as the uh, rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian get closer, all of this is going to start to kind of fall out and studios need to show strength so we'll probably get some kind of announcement so we'll see what goes on now moving right along from that let's talk about the most evil thing of my week which is marvel releasing excalibur the, the new most ar- evil thing of your because book. i've been really loving this dawn of x uh, house of x run and then we got to this book oh wow Uh-oh. yeah and then we got to this book so excalibur is out and um I haven't checked in. Let me say the caveat caveat at the beginning. I have not checked in with Excalibur or, or its mythos in many years. Nobody uh, has. Like, probably since the late 90s. <laughs> Nobody has. You're good. Yeah, okay. Good. There's, a very, <laughs> there's a very devout group of fans. Yeah, the whole cat. I mean, I've never liked Captain Britain as a character. I find him one of the most boring characters. Yeah. Uh, and his whole, whatever this book, I mean, posits is his new status quo. is like the hero of Avalon and Camelot and protector of magic and all this stuff. I was just like, okay. Um, I, I like, let me say this. I like the concept of Excalibur as it, as it kind of applies to X-Men. Like, I like the whole thing from Apocalypse in the first chart in the beginning mm-hmm. where he kind of lays out that, you know, what magic is and why this has anything to do with mutants. Um, it's, it's a good way to justify the book itself. And to kind of present something interesting to the X-Men mythos that House of X touched on that really raised a lot of eyebrows. And I'm, I'm really – Apocalypse being in this book is like the saving grace for me. Yeah. The fact that he's a major figure in this book because all of his stuff is great. Like the whole call can, me the yeah. Krakoan A name. Like <laughs> You can tell Teeny Howard loves – Apocalypse and like getting to do different things. That is her baby, (laughs) and like like, and he's great because he is the key connection to all this. He's a mutant who's ancient, like an eternal who 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 has lived through all of these ages and these changing worlds. Where you know before there was science, like as he says at one point to the girl, like you know this was a word magic. It's a word that existed before science. Like and he's just like Grandpa Apocalypse. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've lived through it all, Sonny boy. Like here's here back Nothing in the day, new. you needed an arc mage just to get yeah you know like a flag and a veil. But like 
And we know that from House of X that he's been this major figure that has to do with magic and the demon realm and all this stuff and saving the world. He's like a magical hero and sorcerer. And applying that to, to that aspect of the Marvel Universe is interesting to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Apocalypse being like a master of the arcane and all that stuff is really interesting to me. And I think it's important to say here, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but as part of this line of X-Books, even if Excalibur is like a step down, that's still several steps above everything else they've been doing with oh, X-Men. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and with X-Men and Excalibur. So I love that part. Yeah. I think I, it lost me on more of the Captain Britain, Morgan Le Fay parts. Mm. Like, I'm not liking this initial storyline. Mm -hmm. So that's my feeling right now. I feel like this book has some of the highest potential to be interesting in a almost like a Justice League dark kind of way without being that dark. Yeah. But like in that kind of edgier, like team of misfit people associated with magic without it feeling too fantasy or magic-y. Yeah. Um, but I don't like this initial storyline. And, and I hope they... I like what they do with Betsy Braddock in this. Full spoilers for Excalibur. Full oh, yeah. spoilers for Excalibur. <laughs> we probably should have said that before. <laughs> yeah. Raise the alarm. Yeah. But, I mean, we haven't said anything yeah. yet. But at the end, by the end of this first book, she Braddock gets taken over by Morgan Le Fay, and he sacrifices his power to her to kind of inherit the power of Captain Britain. Mm -hmm. um, depending on how they treat that with Betsy Braddock, for her specifically, I think will be interesting because she's a character who's been through such dynamic changes that this change and her being able to shed this kind of nefarious past and this darker kind of past and be a true hero will be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, but I hope they kind of, I hope they smart up and find the concept in the way to balance the concept and make the magic stuff more X-Men-y than making the X-Men more magic-y in fantasy. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's the important balance. Well, and I think, cause, I mean, I agree, because I agree with most of your points there. Like, this book was the most underwhelming for me. It wasn't, like you said, though, it wasn't bad yeah. at all. It was still good. I enjoyed a lot of parts in it, but just overall, you know, that hype train has been has been up here. So, I mean, to even come down to here, there, you're going to feel a little bit of jolt. I do. I this should I should love this more. I love Camelot. I love the world of magic and, and Le Fay and like all that stuff. It's like should be right up my alley. Uh, but I agree. I feel like the first part of this book and then the stuff with Le Fay feels like they're two separate books. And then finally, towards the end, they finally start to merge. It still doesn't really have its own identity yet. It's still trying to find that. The strongest stuff is on Krakoa with Apocalypse. Every time he's on you know, screen, every time he's on the page, he's brilliant. And I think going forward, now that you have Braddock as Britain and you have a, another tower character, those two together should make really interesting scenes. Like she wasn't on the same footing before that happens in this book, she's still trying to figure out stuff with her, her all of a sudden alive brother <laughs> and like all that stuff. And that stuff, I agree with you, is boring. Like there's like pages of this book that I'm just bored, <laughs> yeah. bored out of my mind because it's just like, I, okay, I get it. Like your brother, your sister, you have a thing, you have a history, blah, blah, blah. Like it's not, they don't find that hook. You know, it's interesting you bring up identity. I think my biggest problem with the book, and I love... I am not as down on, on like the Captain Britain stuff as Evil Kofi is over there, but yeah. like putting that mantle on Betsy Braddock when she just sort of shed the backstory of Quanin and all that sort of stuff feels like like I look at that and I go, oh come on, you don't think Betsy can like yeah. do her own thing? She has to always be attached to some other power or some weirdness yeah. has to be going on with her. She can't just be 
her? Like, you don't... And that's not to say that Teeny Howard is doing anything wrong. It's no, just agree, not yeah. my cup of tea to go back to that same problem of, well, it's not Betsy anymore. It's Betsy Britain. I, I totally get that. And I feel like, I think, but I think it, the book almost makes that point in it is that like that part with just her as her is really boring. Like some of that's really boring. Uh, you know, and like the highlighted conversations are like a random thing with Apocalypse and with Egg. You know, yeah. like th- those are the conversations that stand out, but nothing about her part in those conversations stands out. And that that's not anything on the character. I'm sure every character has a creator that they can just bring out the magic in them. We've seen it over and over again. So I'm not saying the character can't be, but in this first part of the book, I was, I guess I looked at that as a, Oh, Hey, cool. We're doing something neat with the character. Cause this first part, you know, I don't know what to do. And plus it doesn't help that like Psylocke, that everyone associates that character with now is over in another book. And so they can't, they can only delve into that (laughs) so much because now that book is going to delve into her coming to terms with that. Right. So they, it's, you're double dipping. So I get the, have her own powers. I forget. I get the struggle. Uh, Betsy, I believe, Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. Oh. Betsy has the classic Psylocke powers. Yes. Yeah. Quanin was the body. It's all very complicated. But now they're separate. And now, of course, Betsy has the Captain Britain powers, which are very cool. And I think will be very cool. Quanin have any powers of her own? She's just an assassin. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I thought. She's yeah. just an assassin. Like all the Crimson, was it Crimson Dawn? Like all that, all that stuff where she got like powers, to like teleport and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't like even the classic little like uh, psychic the red eye marking from the nineties. Yeah. Yes, no. Okay. Um, so like all that stuff, I, I'm actually intrigued because Fallen Angels comes out, I think, in like two weeks or something. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see what they gave back to her. Like I'm kind of I want to see what they do with yeah. her. And regarding Betsy Braddock, uh. I think if they try to do like a classic, she's becoming a superhero tale, it's going to fall flat. I think there's potential in her kind of having the reaction that you have and probably a lot of reader has is like, oh, crap, I just got back to being me. Now I'm this other thing. And having to deal with that struggle again and and how she views it this time could be interesting potentially. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Or she takes like more of an ownership and says, no, I'm not doing this again. And like finds some kind of way to usurp that and make it into her own in a kind of way. Um, I don't know what the answer for that is, but I agree, like, just doing another body possession thing with this character is is eventually you're just going to retire her psyche entirely and just make her a body be like, hey, it's possession body. Hey, look at that. <laughs> now, you know, they could, maybe they're building up to, like, a Captain Marvel-style storyline where she's inheriting the mantle and it makes perfect sense. You know, we've always known she was the sister to Captain Britain. Like, that's who she's been. Maybe this is a long-term thing. Maybe it isn't. I mean, yeah. Plus, I will give props to this book only because it has Jubilee and Shogo in it. (laughs) 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 I do love Jubilee and Shogo. Uh, And then also uh, towards, um, I mean, I I just love, too, that it's become a tradition now. It seems like every Dawn of X book, they bring some other character back from the dead that you didn't expect. I kind of hope that's like a regular thing in like every single book like oh here's this guy and you forgot like i'm just waiting for maggot i've yet to see maggot oh man Make more mutants i mean i'm just saying fallen angels is coming up you never know yo maggot coming back i'd be happy i'd be real happy. Meeny, meeny, man. Amen. <laughs> i'm not hating so what do we have up next so excalibur's out what's next uh, x-force is yeah. uh next and that's one yeah that's kind of another that and x-men are the two most decisive like direct tie-ins to House of X, I feel like. So I'm kind of interested to see what happens. I was not 
excited about X-Force when I first saw that lineup because it just doesn't scream to me like it, was, it wasn't a very X-Force-y lineup. We've been conditioned to be like X-Force is Wolverine They're and Warpath and X-23. And this one was like Colossus and Beast. And <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't get it. But the after hearing... Percy's like pitch and being like, we're really going to be like, this is the government essentially of Krakoa and like they're, they're split like some of the political side and the like wet work side that has me intrigued. Like I'm more interested now, plus knowing that he is like evidently a giant Wolverine fan. And so it's going to be like a passion project. So, I mean, last time we had that, right. It was Jerry Duggan and Marauders and he's always wanted to do a pirate book. And Marauders turned out great. So if you get someone who really wants to do something, hey, let him it'll work it. out. Yeah. Let him go. So excited. I just hope that Excalibur realizes what best foot it has and puts Apocalypse front and center. Oh, yeah. He's easily. How do you also, uh, we need to figure out how to pronounce that name. Uh, I don't know. I don't speak Krakoan yet. <laughs> there it is. He said yes. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this edition of Whoa. Comic Book Nation. <laughs> if you're just now joining the podcast. Yep. There it is. It won't always be like this. I will reveal my face. But. Kind of got used to it. Yeah. No, it's hot in this thing. I, don't, I, I knew don't it. I said it would be hot. Every time. You did. If you're just new, we post new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com. Where you can subscribe to our RSS feed. Or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platform. We are on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist. You can tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast. Or you can check us out on YouTube under the comicbook.com page where we post videos of all our podcasts. If you want to join the discussion about anything we talked about, just hit us up at the hashtag comicbooknation. Or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can hit me up at Matt Aguilar CB. And I'm at Roland Bishop. That's me. That was just so delightful the way he delivered them. I know. That was, that was like the most I'm country delivery having me, everyone. <laughs> I'm Roland. If. You like the show, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If we read your review on air, which we do kind of periodically, we will send you a Comic Book Nation t-shirt. So be sure to leave that five-star review on iTunes for us. As always, if you are listening to this, this is our Friday episode. Make sure you also go back and check out our Wednesday episode where we have uh, Janelle Wheeler with us and we break down all the kind of news in the middle of the rush of the week. And that's pretty exciting as well. So be sure to check out that Wednesday episode. That'll do it for Comic Book Nation. We're going to get out of here because we got some tricks and some treats to check on. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.